Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I express bafflement over Convergence, delight over Daredevil, caution over Saga, trepidation over Fight Club 2, melancholy over some recent cartooning careers, and much, much over more. Show notes, not gravy boats or navy coats, are available at WaitWhatPodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan. Hello. How are you, sir? You know, I, um, um, um... And yourself? That's good. Um, I am very happy because stories behind the podcast, Jeff and listeners, <laughs> uh, you'll have heard Jeff many times on this podcast complain about the headset that mm-hmm. I use, which is also the headset that Jeff uses. Uh, I have been using this headset for years. Yes. I mean, years and years and years. To the point where it is literally falling apart. Mm-hmm. You and Lee, the, the ear uh, foam... <laughs> It's literally crumbling. Uh-huh, uh-huh. To the point where, after every podcast, Kate, without fail, says, what's that black stuff on your head? Oh, it's your headphones, isn't it? <laughs> okay? <laughs> after every single podcast, that's not true, at the start of every single podcast, I'm always like, I should, I just need to get more headphones. I just right. need to get new headphones. Yeah. This has been going on for maybe three months, and I always forget. Always. I finally just bought myself new headphones on the internet, purely because I had the time to do it because you were running two minutes late. So thank you, Jeff. Oh, I, thank I, you. I'm glad to running help. Running late when I, that was in my head. <laughs> ah, Graham McMillan. Well, that's that's just fine, everyone. That's in that way we are um, we are like the comic industry we it is maintenance performed almost entirely by accident don't you think wow you're in a good mood today then <laughs> i am no 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 i mean actually i'm fine i just uh i read the um uh, and i i don't i don't know if this is the sort of thing that that you can talk about in terms of embargoes or whatever but uh, comic book resources had a piece apparently on the finale of convergence and oh well, I, I can talk about it because the finale of convergence is out oh is is that it, it, came, it came out wednesday yeah. has it been eight weeks already yeah crap. it has um and i'm so glad that you say that because uh dc were so excited to get me at the end of Convergence that I actually got it last Friday. Ooh. Wow. Like, for some reason, it was like one day shipping. Wow. Which is super weird. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, all I can think is they were very anxious about the holiday weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, let's just get it out. Um, Jeff, Convergence <laughs> issue eight. Man. Uh, listeners may remember that Convergence issue zero, uh, I described as uh, barely coherent. I might not have even used the word barely. I mean, it's a thought. And since then, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've turned around in a series. I was like, this is, this is wacky as shit. Right. Like, this, this is, again, not especially coherent. I mean, it's coherent in that I can tell what's happening issue to issue, but mm-hmm. the plot is all over the fucking shop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a point where I I went from this is this is terrible to I'm weirdly into this. 
I, I'm totally into this. Oh, I shouldn't have been, because issue eight is appalling. Really? Issue eight is staggering. Wow. Um, there are a few things the Convergence did as a series that uh, that got me not necessarily involved, but which tickled me. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which, and I said it on the Baxter Building, was they have turned. Um, they've basically created their own version of Galactus and the Silver Surfer mm-hmm. in Brainiac and Telos. Telos mm-hmm. being the sentient planet mm-hmm. who is responsible for for convergence. Mm-hmm. Um, except midway through the series, convergence drops its central conceit. By issue four of the series, Convergence has dropped its central conceit entirely. Uh, by issue five, they've gone, remember that sentient planet? He's not actually a sentient planet. He's a guy who has been made to think he's a sentient planet. <laughs> um, but is just like very in tune with the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's been essentially brainwashed and had his previous life wiped by Brainiac. And he's given this very, very Silver Surfer origin. Mm-hmm. That, like, he sacrificed himself to save the planet from Brainiac, and now he serves Brainiac. Like, literally, they're like, oh, well, fuck it, it's, it's the Silver Surfer. Right. We've, we've just decided it's the Silver Surfer, okay, you guys? Um, and in the process, and I want to say this is issue five, maybe it's issue six, they set up this grand mystery of who is Telos? Mm-hmm. Who was he before this happened? Mm-hmm. And this is not even vaguely subtle. Like, the, uh, so midway through Convergence, I want to say issue five, they reveal that Brainiac has been captured. And I'll I'll come back to this later. But Brainiac has been captured and Brainiac is revealed to be in the possession of Demos, the former Warlord villain. Because out of fucking nowhere, Warlord becomes amazingly important to Convergence. Mm-hmm. And when I say out of fucking nowhere, I mean... You might think they set up some sort of introduction to the Warlord mythos in Convergence. They don't. Wow. Um, so, but anyway, so Demos becomes the villain of the series by issue five. Mm-hmm. And he's revealed to have Brainiac in captivity. And he's the one who tells Telus, you're not actually a planet. You used to be a dude. And I know who you used to be. And because I know who you used to be, you should serve me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like they're very dramatic. They're like, you know... His identity is important. Okay? Mm-hmm. Issue 8 of Convergence not only doesn't reveal who he is, but <laughs> writes tells out by giving him... Like, he, he basically gives the planet back to the people from Earth 2. Okay? Mm-hmm. And he appears as a disembodied head. And Green Lantern's like, so you know who you are now? And he's like, yep, I do. The end. <laughs> that level of, like... What the fuckness? It's amazing. <laughs> it's staggering. Oh, also, Demos gets killed in issue seven. Mm. Just gets killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Brainiac in issue eight is like, oh, poor me. I didn't mean to do this, you guys. I've been turned into a monster by happenstance. What if I put all the cities back to where they came from? Oh, I can't because of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Does anyone want to undo Crisis on Infinite Earths? <laughs> and Jeff, then they do. But it happens off panel. Oh man, really? Literally, you have the you have all the heroes of all the different timelines going. We will team up, including hilariously Superman, who goes, 
I'll do it, but only if I can bring Lois and my newborn baby. So newborn that this baby is less than a day old. Only if I can bring Lois and my day-old newborn baby with me as we go back to fight Crisis in Earths. Okay? Right. Okay? I mean, that's insane. Right. They fly off. They all fly off to to solve Crisis in Earths. Mm -hmm. And then it cuts to two two-page spreads featuring arguably the worst art Ethan Van Skyver has done in years. Oh, no. In fact, arguably, definitively the worst art that Ethan Van Skyver has done. Um, featuring narration from Brainiac where he's like, I can tell that they've done it. <laughs> really? I got it. I'll have to find the issue because <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating. It pretty much is him saying, I can tell that they've done it. Um, the narration goes... They have done it. Reality is resetting, stabilizing. That is all the narration on two pages, by the way. Then on the next two pages, each world has evolved, but they still exist. All the narration. And in the in those four pages, you see a number of Earths. Mm-hmm. And in the background of those Earths, the characters who were in convergence from different timelines. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like pre-zero hour or pre-crisis, whatever. And then in front of the Earths, the Earths that they have presumably evolved into. Mm-hmm. I'm saying presumably because it is not clear. Because those Earths, which theoretically are Earths that have now survived because crisis in infinite Earths hasn't happened, uh, are now populated by the characters who you've seen in Multiversity. In in multiversity, oh yeah, that's where the Captain Carrot or whatever comes in yeah. or something. Yeah, and huh. you see like the Atomic Knights. You see Captain Ultra, wow. uh, not Ultra, Ultra Comics. Sorry, uh, you see the uh, the Watchman Analog Carlton characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see the heroes who fought uh, the Nazi Superman. Mm-hmm. You see the characters from the Just One Shot. Wow. And you really? see other characters from the, the guidebook. Huh. Right? So it's very specifically the multiversity characters, except the multiversity characters should already have existed. So either it's saying the worlds have survived and turned into the multiversity planets, mm-hmm. or it's saying the worlds have survived and they are just like reminiscent of these characters. <laughs> it is literally unclear. Right. Like, and I, I've seen, I've seen numerous reports yesterday when the issue came out of people being like, oh my god, Convergence has done this! And so many of them have different ideas of what happens because it's that unclear in the comic. Ooh, wow. Um, so all that is, especially because Jeff King, the writer or co-writer of this issue, which mm-hmm. is, and I'll come back to that as well, um, has said everything's back in play. Mm-hmm. At the end of Convergence, every timeline is back in play. Mm-hmm. And he actually said this before Convergence came out as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so to hear him say it, Christ and Infinite Earth is undone and therefore everything exists now. The multiversity versions of the multiverse and the crisis, pre-crisis version of the multiverse all exist. Huh. But according to the art, the art strongly suggests, especially with the mention in the dialogue of... Uh, each world having evolved, mm-hmm. it's just that each of those worlds has become one of the multiversity Earths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's utterly unclear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's 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 an am- 
amazingly fucked up final issue. It's 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 astounding how poorly. They'll... Um. So I said that this is co-written by Jeff King. Mm-hmm. It is co-written by Scott Lobdell. Oh wow! It is not. Uh, maybe it's unfair, but it is not incorrect to say that the worst issues of Convergence are the co-written ones. Mm. And the best issue of Convergence are the seven in between issue one and issue eight, where he didn't, where he was writing on, a, where Jeff King was writing on his own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do wonder, especially because of the disconnect with this, with what King's saying and the art, mm-hmm. what there's some level of rewriting. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that makes a ton of sense, right? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's wacky as shit. Um, it also features, uh, Wave Rider. Do you remember Armageddon 2001? Oh, the event? Of course. Okay. So it features Wave Rider from that event, mm-hmm. which you'd only know if, like me, you read all the tie in issues. Is not actually Wave Rider. It's Booster Gold from the pre-Flash timeline. It's now turned into uh, Wave Rider. Really? Uh, Yeah. Again, it's and and none of this is signposted in the comic. And also to make matters uh, more confusing, he doesn't look like he does in that Booster Gold comic. He looks like the old Wave Rider. The old Wave Rider. Mm -hmm. To make matters even more confusing, Jeff King, in an interview since Convergence came out, has said. Is it the same wave rider? Maybe it's a different wave rider. <laughs> it is. It is staggeringly nonsensical. Yeah, I mean, just genuinely, impressively nonsensical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in such a way that, whereas like issues, pretty much issues two through seven, mm-hmm. where wacky in an enjoyable, I have no idea what they're doing way. Right. This issue manages to weirdly retroactively suck the fun out of those issues. Yeah, but but you're like, huh, you really were heading nowhere. (laughs) Well, dude, I mean... Arguably everywhere, and then you pull back at last minute, but... Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I I, I really feels to me like our... our, uh, I sense the work of our favorite ham-handed airline hijacker, Dan DiDio... Uh, in some of this, don't you? I mean, it's got a lot of his moves. I, I, I really, I really don't know. Uh, I, I sense the, the, I sense the hand of somebody. I sense the hand of something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's such a, uh, it's such a crazy, uh, it's such a crazy thing. And also, and I said this on the site, I was, I was so pumped up by Convergence mm-hmm. that I was like, I'm going to read the final issues of Future's End, which I haven't read. <laughs> Because I finally got to the comic store today, uh, this week, for the first time in four months. Oh, I'm so glad you went, though. Hooray! Oh, yes. Uh, and all I did was pick up the books that I had ordered. So, I, like, there's still stuff that I want to read that I just didn't pick up because I was spending so much just picking up the books that I ordered. Yes. Um. Anyway, but as part of that, I had the last eight issues of Future's End to read. And I'm so glad I did mm-hmm. because that made sense of some of the continuity in Convergence. For example... Why Brainiac was captured. Again, why wasn't this even vague? Like, why wasn't there even an editor's book in Convergence? Right. Going, you might be wondering why Brainiac is in one of Mr. Terrific's T-spheres. There, there is actually a reason for this, and it's explained in Future's End. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, in Convergence issue zero, 
you might wonder where Brainiac is disappearing to now. Turns out he's going to Future's End. And that will turn out to be important, because if you've read Future's End, which has finished by this point, you know that he gets captured. Right. Ah, yes. It's, it is. <laughs> oh. It's just wacky and, and frustrating as shit. The, uh, the, the one uh, going down the DC K-hole plus side of the whole thing is it got me reading the Earth 2 uh, collections from the library because mm-hmm. I just I pretty much dropped off when Tom Taylor came on not because I wasn't enjoying the book but I was mm-hmm. but because I was like oh shit it's just heading into like this three multi-series crossover like I, I'm not going to collect that um, <laughs> and, and I, I made a mistake in doing that Jeff really Tom Taylor only gets maybe nine issues before uh, Earth 2 gets pulled into the, oh, what's it called? Earth 2 World's End. Mm-hmm. I, but in those nine issues, he actually manages to close off the storyline he was left with in such a way that the amazingly dark and depressing scenario who's given turns into an optimistic, upbeat story about superheroes being awesome. Wow. I mean, I have no... I was going to say, I have no idea how he did it. I know how he did it. I read the book. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how he managed to get away with it. <laughs> Especially because immediately after he finishes, mm-hmm. uh, World's End very purposely goes, oh, we weren't done with that storyline. I know you've wrapped it up, but we're going to unwrap it. My God. Oh, my God. That's just so bad. That but, re- but, if you, but if you dropped off after Tom Taylor, you'd be like, that story ended like amazingly well. Mm-hmm. Amazingly well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, why is Tom Taylor not writing Superman? Right, because he inherits the book where Superman has been revealed to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Lois Lane is dead, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Superman is literally the bad guy. And uh, James Robinson's last issue, the the apocalypse villain who has been basically slaughtering everyone, is revealed to be Superman. Mm. Um, who has been turned by Darkseid. And so this is, this is what Tom Taylor inherits. Mm-hmm. And Tom Taylor clearly is massively in love with Superman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing he does is bring Lois Lane back from the dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the Red Tornado. Oh, that's pretty great. But he, probably he not the... Into, into the robot. Oh, see, because if it had just been a mysterious want... red tornado with, like, you know, the pot, the kitchen pot yes, over yes, it, you won the classic red. I tornado. really did. I was like, oh my god, that's the best thing ever. Uh, no, he, he brings back the robot, but it's, it's got Lois's brain in it. Sure. Um, and then for the nets for the rest of his run, just as Lois going, that's not Superman. Mm-hmm. Like that, that can't be Superman because Superman doesn't do that. I don't care what you do to Superman. Superman does not kill people. Mm-hmm. Like Superman does not get brainwashed. That's just not what Superman does. Um, and he takes it really far. Mm-hmm. Lois is kidnapped by Superman and taken back to Man Pack End, who are essentially being held hostage by Superman, who is nuts. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, let's all have dinner like a family. <laughs> and they're like, his parents are like, okay, you're crazy, but we can't do anything because you'll kill us. Mm-hmm. And so Lois is like, this is horrible and they're like yes it is but shush <laughs> like 
He's a terrifying monster with impossible power. Um, and he then brings in a second Superman. Mm-hmm. He brings in, uh, oh God, I think it's called Valzod. I could be misremembering the name. Mm-hmm. Um, who is an agoraphobic who has been trapped inside since he landed on Earth. And it's just, I don't want to fight. I'm a pacifist. You know, th- th- everything that's going on is horrible. I'm completely paralyzed by fear. Mm-hmm. Turns him into Superman Superman. So you have a pacifist Superman who would rather talk everything out, would rather save people, does not want to fight, does not believe in killing at all. Mm-hmm. Sends him up against Superman, only for Superman at the end, spoilers everyone, but this comic is more than a year old, to be revealed as Bizarro. <laughs> Which is awesome! <laughs> It's such a great twist. <laughs> That's pretty great. That's pretty great, I have to say. Because he really has spent all this time with a guy, like, literally right. looks like, this is not Superman. Right. Superman doesn't do this. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but it's not Superman. Mm-hmm. Ripped mm-hmm. in the final issue, be like, it's really not, it's Bizarro. Wow. Wow. That's very fun. Which is a super great reveal. Mm-hmm. And so you're left with, Superman hasn't ended up going down this horrible road, all, and... And also, along the way, they defeat Apocalypse. <laughs> like, almost in the background of this, they actually do defeat Apocalypse. Uh-huh. Um, and so you have you have literally a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Only for, to go from that to World's End, which was like the next issue out. Literally, and to be like, Apocalypse has a second wind, you guys! <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know... Hilarious and also just utterly tragic. Oh. Because, because Tom Taylor amazingly pulls it out. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it, by the time Robinson left, it was the most depressing, hopeless book. Mm-hmm. You know, cause I mean, cause Robinson's last issue is genuinely a fuck you by being like, oh, that's right, Superman. He's, he's been turned, he's a monster now. Bye! <laughs> You know, and Tom Taylor actually manages to pull it out and be like, look at this. I've, I've done it. I've managed to turn it into a, an, a good superhero story, but also a superhero story that says superheroes are aspirational figures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The superheroes are not monsters and you don't have to become a monster to fight them. Right. Which is, and, you and know. And like, then gets turned into, oh, guys, what? <laughs> You're all going to become monsters. <laughs> monsters, <laughs> everybody. Monsters. Exactly. Um, but yeah, but that was, that was the plus. The plus was I was like, oh, because Convergence is a series that is really about the Earth 2 characters. Mm -hmm. Um, at the end of World's End, Earth 2 has become Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Like, has literally become Apocalypse. Uh, Apocalypse, as was, has been destroyed. Or is Mm -hmm. dying, as they put it. Um, and Earth 2 has become the new Apocalypse, complete with the fire pits, complete with everything. Right. Uh, and humanity, like, there's a, a small subsection of humanity who's been sent off in space. And the heroes are left on Earth 2 slash Apocalypse to die. Mm-hmm. Convergence opens up with all the heroes basically having been kidnapped mm-hmm. and put onto this new world. And they're the point of view characters for the book, for the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and so through reading Convergence, I was like, I, you know, I, I like this new Superman. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I'm not particularly in love with this new Batman, but that's okay. He dies midway through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like the Green Lantern. I like the Flash. I actually really like the Flash. 
mm-hmm. um, I, I, I want to read more of these. I, I dropped off of Earth 2. I'm going to go back and see what Tom Taylor did because I also really like Tom Taylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think his justice is far stronger than it should be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For, again, another story where Superman's gone bad, but it's, again, far more um, aspirational and far more upbeat. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually... You're right. Right. I'm, I'm quite bummed by, like, I, as you know, I picked up that, uh, very cheap version of, of Justice Season 1 digitally, really enjoyed it, and, and Season 2 has been sitting in hardcover format, um, untouched, literally pristine on my shelves for, like, months now. And it's just like, oh, I'll get around to this, but, but yeah, actually, Tom Taylor's kind of impressive. So, just want to check. You really, cause he has, he's sort of, he's done some DC work, but isn't he, didn't he also do a superior Iron Man for Marvel? He did, yeah. So, so after his Earth 2, he jumped ship to Marvel mm-hmm. and his superior Iron. Uh, and then interestingly enough, seems to have disappeared. He's not writing any of the Secret Wars books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, I, I don't know what he's doing. I mean, I, I, guess he's going to be writing one of the post-Secret Wars books. I hope so, anyway. I know that a lot of people like Superior Iron Man. Although you really did not, as I recall. Yeah. But mm-hmm. that's because I don't... Uh, ironically, I don't like stories where, hey, the hero is the villain, and I don't like Iron Man enough to to care about that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, Iron Man is already close enough to a dick for me that then we were like, and now he's really a dick. Like, I, I there's, there's not enough of a hook from like for Superman. There, there's a hook there because mm-hmm. that's not the character. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that's Im- implicitly not Superman. Right. Right. Whereas Iron Man's transformation is pretty much just like his dickish was already at seven. Now it's a ten. <laughs> <laughs> Will know? he go back down to an eight? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm not. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I'm feeling weirdly not on board, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, I'll read it on, on, on Unlimited. Mm-hmm. And if I did, I, I, I only read the first issue in, when it came out, but I read the second issue on Unlimited this week. And it's, it's interestingly enough, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know. Is the short version, uh, but I, I hope he's got more de- uh, more Marvel work lined up because because he's really good, mm-hmm. um, and it would be a sh- real shame to think that he jumped ship from DC, where I think he was he was getting traction to Marvel, and then Marvel were just like, okay, so Spirit Iron Man didn't really do the numbers we wanted it to. Good luck. Well, okay, so well, a few questions. One is. Um... He, as far as I can tell, was very, very strong over at DC. Is it the sort of thing? If you, is there any sort of rumors that he was jump pushed? Like, there's no reason why he oh, might I not be coming back no under. Okay. Absolutely, no idea. Okay, and also, I, I do feel, and I could be wrong about this, but it does seem like, oof, I, I, and I hope you can correct me, but if I'm wrong, but I feel like if Marvel. Usually, if they like somebody, they give uh, at least writers multiple chances. You know, yes, no, no, they definitely do. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, you just have to look at the careers of of many people, like uh, Sam Humphreys, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. 
none of his early series really caught fire. I'd argue that none of them have actually caught fire, but uh, this, I would say that the sales in his early series didn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. But he kept being given work. Same with Dennis Hopeless. Same with you know the, all the writers who are now getting traction or, or becoming names. Yeah, uh, Marvel stuck with them mm-hmm. through what were essentially sales failures. Right. Well, even someone like, uh, I think, I feel like Karen Gillan, you know, uh, got, kept, you know, because I don't, I don't think like Sword or whatever, it was Agents of Sword or, you know what I oh, mean? Sword, like, Sword, yeah. Yeah, I don't which, think. Which again, like, counts after five issues. Exactly, exactly. So not real strong sales there, not what, clearly not what they were hoping for, but they, they, you know, they kept, kept him in the loop, you know? So. I, and, it really shows, like that. That works out for them. Mm-hmm. You know, G- Gillen is now one of their stars to the point where be- he's stepping away to mm-hmm. work on on his own stuff and to work on Star Wars, mm-hmm. and that's a thing. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like people are like, like, oh, that Marvel's really going to miss having Gillen there, and I think it will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that he he has a voice that, especially on something like a, a Journey into Mystery or Young Avengers. Mm-hmm. Is very unlike anything else that's at Marvel, but really helps Marvel by being present. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that the fact that he was, he has been given those chances mm-hmm. speaks positively of, of Marvel. Yeah. I, I I have nothing, you know. I, I my concern that Tom Taylor is going, going to disappear is as much as anything based on the fact that he's not writing any of the Secret Wars books, right? Right, where it seems like a lot of the guys who they're sort of... Well, it feels like everyone else is, to mm-hmm. be blunt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Right, right. Uh, but for you know, for all I know, that's that's his choice. For right. all, he, he, he just has no interest in it, uh, and or he's getting a jump on what is coming afterwards in quote-unquote all new, all different Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's... I guess it's... After reading Earth 2 and being having that moment of Tom Taylor's great. Like Tom Taylor's a really strong writer. He's doing a lot of things I I want to read. Mm-hmm. Um I was suddenly aware of like, oh, Superior Iron Man is obviously going to be finishing if it's not already finished. Mm-hmm. Where is he now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I could probably check on Twitter. I'd right, exactly. Look on Twitter on his website, and he could be he because it seems like that is the sort of thing that people do for the most part nowadays. Um, did you? Did you? Because uh, I, I should uh, interject. Not not that actually it, it's particularly relevant to this aspect of the conversation, but listeners may be interested to know that uh, last week um, during our skip week. I spent five days on a retreat uh, in a beautiful scenic location with absolutely no internet whatsoever. Um, Which I love. Yeah, it was it was really I, interesting. I was all about this. I really did. <laughs> Well, uh, hmm. I'm, I'm trying to think which, which – I'm sort of like, how much can I really bore the listeners about it? But 
there's two things. No, no, no. We, we like we'll definitely do this off recording because okay. I am. I really want to know everything, and our listeners probably don't. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily think so because because it is it is as one might imagine when when the phrase like go on a retreat is involved. There, there's really nothing exciting. It's all. It's all. It's all. It's a life of minutia. In, in a kind of yeah, wonderful yeah. way, that's, you know. That's kind of, yeah, that's kind yeah. of the thing. So, but I was kind of curious, A, when I came back, because I've been back just a, just a hair under a week now, um, A, how slow I've been to get back into social media. Um, you know, my Twitter account has just been, like, I think I've done one tweet of my own and just retweeting a couple of, of things that I think are, are of note. Um, but also I'm just sort of vaguely, uh, I'm sort of, I don't know, you know, it's like I came back and I, you sort of have this feeling of like, oh my God, I'm going to go away and everything's going to change. And then I kind of came back and it was definitely wasn't one of those like weeks where like DC or Marvel, uh, you know, initiated something huge. You know, uh, in fact, if, but are you familiar with what's going on with, is it Sam Heaty? Is that how his last yes. name is pronounced? Yes. Yeah. Right. So uh, and the, uh, the declaration that he's dead, even though he's not dead. Yes. So, so, so for example, you know that he's not dead, right? Well, it took me a long time to find out. Let's put it that okay. way. Well, that's, I think that is intentional. Yes. Well, not intentional, but I think. I think declaring Sam Heaty dead in the way that it was done, which we should really explain for the listeners. Sam Heaty mm-hmm. is, uh, I, I want to say a New York based cartoonist. I think that is correct. Right? Yeah. Um, who announced via the internet this week that basically he was dead mm-hmm. and that, uh, you could buy the remainder of his work that mm-hmm. exists through his website. But once that was gone, that's it. Mm-hmm. There will be no more work. Right. Um, I first found out about this uh, through Tumblr, mm. uh, the Destroy Comics Tumblr, which is a Paul Pope Tumblr. Mm-hmm. I think it's a Paul Pope fan Tumblr. I don't think it's Paul Pope himself doing it. Right. Um, wrote a post about this, and so I came at it in a slightly different, a slightly skewed angle because the post I initially found out about it was, he's fine. He's just not doing comics anymore. Mm-hmm. That was my entry point. In the first place, right? Which, and I've since seen, I've since seen other people, also on Twitter and on other social media, say he's he's not dead as a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I came about it through this weird like um, you know sometimes I'm on Twitter, you see an isolated tweet by someone you follow, and then you go back to their yeah. timeline. So Evan Dorkin, maybe two three oh. nights ago. Yeah, his 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 long yeah thing. Yes, I saw. Yeah, so he he did a very long uh, sort of tweet monologue about staying in comics and leaving comics, and uh, essentially thinking it really had that classic uh, sort of come to Jesus moment where he is talking out loud about this stuff and kind of saying, like, if something doesn't turn around in a year or two, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to leave comics, you know? And and it very much being that idea of... And, and as he laid, laid it all out, um, 
he was very much talking about it in the sense of, uh, you know, my, you know, my wife is a brilliant and gifted cartoonist and, and knew what she was signing up for when she married me. He's like, but we have a kid and our kid does not, you know, essentially our kid has no say in, you know, sort of what kind of life she's getting. And at that point it's up to me. And do I really want to, um, do I really want to give her like what is rapidly becoming a fourth rate life? You know, and so it was a very little sobering thing on comics. And then on top of it, he mentioned Sam Heedy. And I was like, wait, 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 what's up with Sam Heedy? You know, and so when I jumped online, it was that weird thing of like, there was his website that seemed to suggest he was dead. And yet there was absolutely no news when I was searching Google News for it to suggest that he was. And I was like, is is it that he's just that small, uh, uh, you know, a uh, that India cartoonist that nobody would cover it? But you know, but which I found kind of impossible. So fortunately, well, well, I stumbled across. I think um, Heidi's had a post on the beat where, in, complete with update, people talking to him and saying like, "No, no, this person is not dead." You know, uh, and also I think because I saw Albert Ching from CBR. Uh, make a tweet to someone about this the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's also very much a, we don't, we're not covering this because we don't know what it is. Right. Oh, and I, that's I, I think, mm-hmm. I think there is, but it's, it's very unusual because, yeah. uh, I think if exactly the same situation had happened with a Jeff Johns, mm-hmm. then there wouldn't have been the reticence. Do you know what I mean? It would have been, is Jeff Johns dead? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like right. everyone rushing to be first. Yeah. 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 Well, oh my God, is Jeff Jones sad or is he dead? So, so wait, I, which know, are... CBR would have the poll. Sad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, I think you, I think you asked my, you answered my, my next question, which is going to be, be because there was a big enough name for them to actually be cynical yeah. about. I see. Uh, no, not even cynical. I uh, well, cynical in the sense of we can get hits out of this. Yeah, that's like, what I like, mean. Like, damn the damn this reality. We can get hits, right? Right. Exactly. Um, we can get hits from I, speculating, I, even. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it also sounds like I'm just calling it CBR, and I'm not. Like mm-hmm. everyone would be running that story, right? If if Jeff Johns had a particularly bad week, mm-hmm. and essentially did what Sam Heedy did, mm-hmm. um, everyone would run that story. Well. You know, it kind of reminded me, it's, I want to say it's only been about a year, maybe a year and a half since Tom Scioli basically, you know, announced that he was quitting comics and then that was it and, you know, turned off his account and then nobody knew how to handle that either. I think the only people I really saw handling it was multi-versus. What's that? Comics Alliance did stuff on that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I guess they did. Comics Alliance, and I also want to say Multiversity, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. But but again, Seoli at that point was not a big enough deal mm-hmm. for the other sites to care about. Right. And, and honestly, to be utterly cynical, if he did the same thing now, mm-hmm. uh, I would expect... The same sites cover it, maybe with the addition of CBR, but CBR would be Transformers G.I. Joe artists. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Tom Zioli is sad. Right. 
And you know that there would be comments along the lines of, how can he be quitting comics? He's living the dream. Transformers and G.I. Joe? <laughs> well, the thing that I find really fascinating about it is is that, that Tom Scioli did kind of go from, uh, you know, a dude who people really didn't, wasn't on a lot of people's radar, I would have to say. I, I think that's a generous and and I, I, I mean I'm really not sure because I think Godlands put him on a lot of people's radar and then he fell off again. Maybe. I all, all I can say is whichever status that he was, I definitely feel that in in terms of the the free comic book day issue zero issue of Transformers vs. G.I. Joe really turned that around. You know what I mean? Like that was one where he he really ended up being one of the big winners, it looked like to me, from Free Comic Book Day, in the sense of like people were like, holy shit, who is this guy? Yes, exactly. What is this? Yeah. Which was a great uh, a great result for everyone of counter-programming. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. he could have done that exact book, and it, but it wasn't actually Transformers G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It was like change bots and Mr. Military. <laughs> And no one would have added an eyelid. Uh, I think so. I, there's, I, I, it's what yeah. it, what is, what it really is, is the fact that he's actually doing it to the actual toys. Oh, sure. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, as I recall from Cioli, it was very much this case of, he he was he had been serving two masters for such a long time even you know godland was a thing that he was doing part time cuz it really wasn't bringing in enough cash as i recall and he also had his day job and it was basically he chose one or he he first chose the non comics option and then a bunch of people talked to him and he's like oh, okay i'll i'll do comics full time give up the day job type sort of thing and that kind of a lot of that really did end up opening the doors for him, I think, in the sense of the stuff with IDW. And and now I think he's just, you know, the, the guy is on the map. So it's fascinating to me that Sam Heaty, who I, I, I don't think I've ever seen any of his comics work per se, but I mean, I adore, he did a, a, a poster that was basically a comic adaptation of uh, Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in the West that was phenomenal that just blew my mind so you know it's pretty rare for me to have a a name anybody's name from the last two years uh stick in my brain pan but the fact that his had and i'd heard about this i was i kind of had this like oh holy shit moment you know um uh, you know, I wish I could give you a better, like when we started all this out, I'm like, oh, I've got an amazing segue from what you were talking about. Oh, Tom Taylor just sort of dropping off the map. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, well, I I think it's very easy to drop off the map, Jeff. Well, yes. A, it's easy to drop off the map and, and B, I think that there's this, um, what do I want to say? I, I I I think that there's very much an awareness that it is how hard it is to actually be a, a comics professional on the cusp. I do think that that is one of the things that people seem a little bit more aware of. Like uh, Comics Alliance had that piece, like I think it was like must have been two weeks ago because I think I saw it before. 
before I, I exited uh, broadcasting range about the uh, proposed prices for a um, comic book industry guild, you know, proposed mm-hmm. back in like, I don't remember. Oh, 70 something. Late 70s. Yeah, I want to say like 78, 79. And then uh, they attempted to revive it later in the 80s, I think. Um, I think, and people being like, these rates are actually just the flat out rates are in many cases higher than the, than, than what people are getting paid today. Then, you know, not even counting for the inflation factor of, you know, 19, we don't even have to transfer how high this is in 1978 dollars. These, these numbers on their own are just higher than what many professionals are getting paid now. Um, you know, so I feel like it's kind of, uh, it's, it's, it, it's fascinating to me that it's a tough industry. I, did you see the, what I thought was pretty brilliant? I only read the second of two articles called the Marvel Industrial Complex by a uh, James Rochi over at Movie Mezzanine. No, I, I've never even heard of Movie Mezzanine. I had never heard of this either. This is, again, one of those brilliant things where somebody, not even somebody that I follow on Twitter, but somebody I do follow on Twitter, um, forwarded somebody saying, like, hey, this is great. And I went, and it's called the Marvel Industrial Complex. And it is entirely a talk. It's it's really great. This guy had apparently written a first piece sort of talking about the problem problems with Hollywood as exemplified and exacerbated by Marvel movies. And I only ended up reading the rebuttals where a lot of people are talking to him about um, where he basically talks to the people who are, who criticized his original article, you know, Mm. Um, I, I've, I've just looked them up right now and I've bookmarked them to read later. Yeah, so maybe we can talk about them a, a little bit later because I only read the second one. But one of the things that he said was a lot of people talking about the idea that, you know, kind of that traditional idea of like people, studios release these super big movies and they use them to sort of finance their smaller movies, um, the small personal movies, and he's like, that is not the case. Like Marvel yeah, movies, that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, not at all. And he and he looks at Disney's slate, and it is, you know, he's like, take out the Marvel films, the Star Wars films, the films based on existing Disney properties like Tomorrowland and Alice in Wonderland, and you're left with two live action dramas, one adapted from a book with big talent. Ticket talent like Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg, a few original high cast animated films, and a remake of an anime film from 1995. You know? Yeah. Now, please point me to the smaller films that Disney is financing with the riches from the Avengers and Captain America, you know, because they're clearly not on that slate. Yeah. Bigger movies. Oh, yeah. But I mean, at the same time, I, f- uh, I feel that you could make that argument far better for any other studio than Disney, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like Disney, more than anyone else, mm-hmm. doesn't want to make anything other than blockbusters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not, not that I'm saying, you know, look at Sony, look at Warner Brothers. They're really trying because they're fucking not. Yeah. But they're trying more than Disney is. <laughs> Disney, Disney, I feel, just wants to dominate yeah. the blockbuster market and that's it. If Disney could get away with making nothing but Avengers, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it would. Yeah. No, I, I, I think there, I think there's, there's a 
there's a truth to it. Anyway, it, it's a really, really great article. I could, I could yell well, out a bunch of quotes yeah, at you. I, I'm, yeah, I'm super. I, one of the things I read this week uh, is Airboy, mm-hmm. the the James Robinson Greg Hinkle book that's coming oh, right. out next week from Image, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of ties in with what we're talking about because it is quasi autobiographical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say quasi because spoilers. At one point, a fictional character crosses over into reality. That, <laughs> that clearly didn't happen. But it is really a book, or at least the first issue is, uh, very much about Robinson's self-destructive tendencies being exacerbated by his presence in the comic book industry and the belief for him at this point in his life and his career that uh, he is headed for the chop at DC. Wow. Uh, and that is like, that's text. That's not even subtext. Mm-hmm. He at one point talks about how his DC work is lackluster. Uh, it's not doing anything that he wants it to do. It's also not selling well. Right. The fans know that he's just phoning it in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and his sense of burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's interesting that we're talking about like how easy it is to fall off the map. And this comic is very, very explicitly about that. Yeah. Uh, not only in the sense of Robinson is in the act of falling off the map mm-hmm. at that point, um, as as the character, but also as a creator of the book, this is clearly his attempt not to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is clearly him going, no, I can do something else than these superhero books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can do something that is, in all respects... Uh, Grant Morrison be cheeky because mm-hmm. he's he's Robinson is very much playing up his I'm a bit of a lad sure I'll do some coke and I'll fuck a hooker whatever <laughs> it's all laugh like he's doing a lot of that right um, and it's it's a very weird tonally because also in the book is is John Jones who as it says as she's identified as his then wife ooh Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and he is like, and he is actively like not pushing her away as much as just like he's completely closed off from her. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this weird like, you know, cheeky chappy thing. While the book is also clearly like he's fucking up, <laughs> right? <laughs> like he's he's fucking up his life, right? Uh, and and so it's it's super curious and super interesting because of that. Hmm. Is that out yet, or is that pending? It's ne- next week. It's, okay, because I was about week. to say that that book has been scheduled. It seems that like book, forever. That, that book's been yeah. People, mm-hmm. I feel that that book has been uh, talked about for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to say it was uh, suggested at three image expos ago. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I in that kind of like oh my god, and this is a book to look for, look out for. It will blow your mind, kind of thing. Yeah, which I did not believe the hype, but hearing that description of it, part of me is like, oh it's my god, it's super, shit. it's super weird. I, I'm uh, I'm not sure I like it. <laughs> well, how, I'm not, I'm yeah. not sure I dislike it either. Mm-hmm. I'm just um. It put it this way, it's not as bold as he thinks it is, mm-hmm. and it's not as charming, but it's also not unbold or uncharming. 
Do you know what I mean? Right. I, I, th- I think it, I think how you read it really depends on a how much you want to read that story, mm-hmm. and b how open you are to being just being open to the material. Because it's not a bad comic. I well, I'm fascinated really by the expectations. It, it, it's not. It's. I mean, it's not a. It's not an analog of him. I mean, it is, but he clearly he he identifies himself as himself. Then, huh? Yeah, and he identifies the artist as the artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I mean, during the book, right. uh, and you know, Eric Stevenson pops up, and uh-huh. they talk about reviving Airboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Robinson talks about his lack of interest in doing so. Mm-hmm. All of that is in the first issue. Wow. Hmm. Um, so it, it's it's very meta. And if you're if meta and especially meta that is winking at the reader is a problem, mm-hmm. then it's then it's this is just not the book for you mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious where it's going to go from mm-hmm. here. Uh, in large part because it could go horribly wrong. Uh, if it turns out that Airboy teaches them to be better people, then nobody wants to read that story. Right. Well, you cause, know? cause it's kind of, it's kind of done. Kind of. It's done. And also it doesn't really pay off what is set up in the first issue. Mm-hmm. If you're setting up, this is a guy who's literally self-destructing mm-hmm. in the first mm-hmm. issue. And your payoff to that is, but then a superhero came. <laughs> right. Out of fiction and saved him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that just doesn't work. That, 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 that flattens the emotional resonance as opposed to really giving you some sort of payoff for it. And, uh, I don't know. I also, I meant to ask, have you been reading Zero? Are, are, are you up to date with it? I'm not. I've got to be at least a few issues behind, I think, because I just keep missing. I don't I don't have it on my pull list, and I should, but I think... I, I want to say the last one you read was 15, right? Yes, that's right. The, the Burroughs issue? Yes. Um, yeah, Jeff, Zero has gone, has gone in a very unexpected direction for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for you, uh-huh. but let's just say that issue 15 was much more of a sign of where it's going from that point on to the end, because issue 18 is the last issue. Oh, issue 18 is uh, the last issue of, of Zero? Yeah. Huh? Yep. Uh, but issue 15 is much more of a, this is where we're going, than I thought. Mm. Much more. Interesting. I honestly thought it was a one-off interlude, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's not. Yeah. In huh. the slightest, uh-huh. it is literally central to everything that comes afterwards. Hmm. So, how many issues have I missed? Just one or two? It's got to be like two, one. Seventeen's right? uh, coming out next week. Oh, I see. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Um, but yeah, it's. I, I, I'm in a. I'm in a very good place with Alishkot's work right now. I've not read. Um, is it the material? Yes, his, his new book. I've not read that yet. Oh, either but, uh, either issue because I think that in the second oh, issue wait, hit. No. Oh, that's just the first? I think it's just first because the surface is the other book, right? Oh, yeah, the surface and the material. And okay. I, I read right. both issues of the surface, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm loving it. Oh, good. I am, I am one hundred percent there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it's 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 
paying off amazingly for me. Hmm. And it has me very excited for the final two issues. It's only a four-issue series. Mm. Uh, but it feels very much like a crystallization of things he's done in other work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and including Zero. Mm. If, in many ways, it feels like Zero meets change for me. Hmm. Uh, but but hyper-compressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's really paying off for me. Zero has just gone nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, nuts. I read issue 17 yesterday. I read I read the, the preview, the review copy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of those, okay, I guess I have to reread, like, at least the last four or five issues. Mm-hmm. But maybe all of the series to fully appreciate this. Wow. Because um, he's doing... He's doing some stuff there. Kev, he really is. But part of that also made me think, oh god, I don't think I'm ready to, to dip into material yet. This just feels too much. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, part of me really wants to read more, and part of me also just doesn't, because I think that for me, material that's, my brain might melt. <laughs> well, that's great, Graham. I mean, that's, so I, uh... I, I, I'm, I'm super, super feeling it. But yeah, uh, zero, cause you liked 15 a lot, right? I liked it okay like on the one hand the art not that you're really into it but it might be misremembered you, well I, I i because i think i did spend a certain amount of time being like you know oh my god a that was really a, a it was unexpected because i had clearly missed a couple of issues so it was an amazing issue to dive in cold into um it looked phenomenal so that's a huge chunk of it i was somewhat skeptical about uh, Cot's take on Burroughs, frankly, but that, that I think, you know, but that's also as somebody who's my, my own actual, um, the amount of Burroughs that I've read somewhat slight and a very long time ago. So it was kind of like, okay, is it just that he's not, you know, is he not referencing the stuff that I'm thinking of, or is it just that he's, you know, you know, just, it, it just, it, it didn't feel 100% uh, on point to me on a way that I couldn't quite nail down. But in terms of picking up a book that looked lovely and also really had a, you know, regardless of not, or, or not of, as to whether he really nailed Burroughs, um, I, I thought that it was, it was kind of exciting to see, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, yeah. It, it, it is, it's very much, mm-hmm. uh, not really not what you expect, but not what you expect in an exciting way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think. You know, like, like right. this, this is ambitious. Yes. This, this might be, this might be a terrible idea, but God damn it, he's trying. Uh, Graham? And then Jeff disappears. Yes. Hello. You, no, hey, you disappeared. So, but God damn, oh, he's trying. Well, and then. Yes. No, that was me. I was dumb. Oh, that was it. Oh, okay. Then that I'm like it. sitting there being like. You you, no. you really built it to such a climactic point. So trying was the climax, Jeff. I see. It's I a lesson see. about life. Hey, listen. So there's hey. a few things that I want to want to talk about because one thing that you said when you said that you went to the comics exper- uh, comic store this week for the first time in forever, did they I, have? I, when I say this this week, I mean the weekend by the way so i didn't i didn't get this week's comics oh shit okay interestingly enough i I went on monday did they have pope pats number four came out 
this week. I don't know if you saw it? That it was yes. It came out oh, yesterday. Shit. Yeah, and I was I was so excited. Now the good news is after a two year absence or whatever it has been, um Pope Hats number four does not actually pick up any of the threads from Pope Hats number three. It is a self contained uh issue. Um there's wait, a great little pinup for the characters. That's that's the good thing. Are you about to tell me it's terrible? N- no, I mean I just mean in a, it's good in that idea of like if you're like dying to get there, it's like hey, good news. It's all kind of self-contained. Like you can kind of go in and pick it up. It is a collection of short stories, and it's very interesting to me because um, uh, I really I really quite enjoyed it. Actually, the the thing that's funny is. Last week, Optic Nerve 14, I guess, came out. So I picked up Optic Nerve 14 it's sort of in the same batch, let's let's say, for, for ease of discussion's sake. Um, and That's I, fascinating to me because I was going to make some sort of Optic Nerve-esque joke when you were talking about Popats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they are very similar in my mind. They are super similar, and I didn't really notice it as much. I think because there's ways in which... um... Well, I feel they're very similar in terms of writing, but not visuals. So I I think that it's you could easily not make a connection. But I feel that definitely the the two uh, are, are... are writing about the same things and are writing in a very similar fashion about them. Well, I can see a lot of crossover between them. And that is what's super fascinating about Pope Hats number four is for me, you know, you see the, you know, Ethan Reilly's style is more like almost Kevin Huizinga-ish, you know, uh, in terms of the the way it looks. And so uh, there's a way in which I move sort of toward that, you know, uh, when Huizinga's doing some of his Glenn Ganges stuff where it's like n- – experimental or formal, but not chilly, you know? And of course, Tomine is a guy who is, you know, I think his work reads a lot colder, a lot more coolish, uh, I think deliberately, of course. Um, And it's, of course, really fascinating to me the way in which uh, seeing Popat's number four, especially his letters page, which looks like it, it has just been ripped right out of the back of a, of an optic nerve letters page, you know, to, to, you know, in, in terms of having excerpts from longer letters from people in which the things that they're saying are just kind of mortifying and awkward sort of, um, it was like, Oh, really funny for me. Cause of course, Tomine is somebody who also sort of, um, you know, he was so like, Influence really understates it. You know, his, his, his passionate, um, uh, um, embrace of Dan Klaus's work, Tomine, I think gave him, it took a while for him to sort of, for me at least, sort of reemerge as his own voice, I suppose. And there's ways in which I'm, I'm still sort of largely skeptical about it. Um, and so it was kind of a, a shock to read Popats and be like, oh, holy shit, this is very much like 
really has his influences and, and Chris Ware is also a big one in here. But mm-hmm. the short stories sort of run the gambit from, you know, fun slice of life, uh, very strange sort of depressing science fiction to uh, another, you know, another two sort of slices of life. And then an amazing multi-part comic called The Nest, uh, which basically is done for the most part in um, chapters of two pages uh, and then expands to, I think, chapters of three pages toward the end, uh, which is about a regular couple whose college-age daughter sort of ends up showing up uh, literally on their doorstep. She's supposed to be away at college, and it's clear that she has had a nervous breakdown uh, to the point of it looks like a nervous breakdown, and as the book progresses and sort of opens up in that beautiful way that comics can in terms of using thought balloons and captions to sort of layer, to basically create a schizophrenic experience. It's harrowing. It is, it's brilliant, but it absolutely was kind of bone chilling in a way that I was like, holy shit. Well, I don't know. Like there's, you know, a couple of goofs thrown in at the end after that and a sort of slice of life thing that a non slice of life story, I suppose that, that you could, that isn't, wouldn't have been out of place in optic nerve, like a few years back. Um, but I really put it down going like, Holy shit, this was amazing. Cause it's still got, a, you know, I love really style. And actually I really just adored the, Popats 3 had such a, a really strong aspect of real life, and especially since it was about characters, at least a character, working in a large law firm and sort of kind of getting swallowed up by it, really. Oh, yeah, it, it really spoke to you in a way that it, like was very specific to your experience, I think. Yeah, exactly. So it meant a ton. So at first, when I was kind of in this, being like, ah, oh, man, um, uh, really strong. And then of course I picked up optic nerve 14 being like, Oh, well this is going to be a shame. Poor optic nerve is not really going to stand a chance, uh, uh, against this. And optic nerve has a remarkable, a, has a very, uh, two stories in it. The first one I thought started strong and then just got kind of like tapered off, I think. And then he, uh, and that one's called, um, uh, Killing and Dying, and is about, among other things, stand-up comedy. Uh, and then there is a um, story called Intruders, which I think, like in his previous issues, he dedicates to uh, Yoshihiro Tatsumi, um, and is brilliant. is is actually a very, very satisfying um, story about a guy who goes back to the apartment where he was married now that his marriage has fallen apart and his obsession with the apartment. Um, and it's just, it's really just impeccably told just really well done. So the thing that's really funny is even as I'm sort of like being like, yeah, let's talk about these, you know, amazing talents who are 
dropping out or disappearing or talking about how it's impossible to survive in the comic landscape, I'm actually sitting on a handful of really, really enjoyable books from the last two weeks, of which those two really are. I don't, I don't necessarily know if they're the standouts per se, but in terms of, well, I, Popat's number four, I did, I did love, but it, you know, at least that there, there are, are aspects. They're of a, they're of a piece and they're of a uh, quality that is yeah. unusually high. Yeah. yeah, is very, very high quality, but also kind of a little bit of the, um, I have absolutely no idea why I threw in all those qualifiers other than that's what I do. But, um, it, it makes me wonder if as, as certain aspects of the rest of quote unquote indie or alternative comics are seemingly opening up, it's almost as if the, I can't, you know, Dorkin's not, is not really someone who's worked in superhero comics, but, you know, but people who've worked along more traditional venues, let's say, are finding that the spectrum seems to be narrowing in some ways, you know? And, and I don't know if that's really true or not, but, but I do have to say, I got some pretty lovely comics here. What else did you want to pick up? Did you want to run through a line and talk about no, I, I, some I'm stuff? I'm super or? curious about what else you got. I feel like I've talked far too much for the, the first hour of this. So so what else have you been reading, Jeff? Well, uh, I read a bunch of stuff. Um, I, read some, I read a lot of stuff on the iPad on the retreat, and there's one thing that I definitely want to talk about before we jump on that. Uh but the stuff that I read just in terms of the handful, I have to say I was hmm, – I picked up Fight Club 2 purely almost on a lark. And that lark is, well, it's Cameron Stewart. How bad can it be? And I'm really glad that I did because Cameron Stewart is great throughout. Um, mm-hmm. His storytelling is really, really phenomenal in here. Um, Chuck Palahniuk's work – I, you know, I'm not really sure. There's, there's, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that's an appropriate thing to say about Chuck Palahniuk. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I, you know, part of me would like to break that down a little bit more at some point, maybe with more grotesque groaning noises. But the, noises. Funny, but the yeah. weird funny thing is, I know totally what you mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a very strange way, and this is what's kept me away from Fight Club too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck Palahniuk feels. Dated to the point of irrelevant to me. Mm, mm-hmm. It feels very rooted in a very turn of the century mm. uh, white male ennui mm. that just doesn't feel relevant, just doesn't feel necessary or anything other than self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but bear in mind, like I, I didn't like the original Fight Club. Uh, you know, I right. I was the person who was like, yeah, sure, it's it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I'm I'm clearly not his target audience. What's interesting because Polinick is, I mean, I really did quite like Fight Club the movie, and for whatever reason, every time I I would try to read Fight Club the book, I just sort of bounced off of it, like there was an invisible force field around it. Uh. But have, I, have you read anything else he's reading? Yes, and I want to say, right, it was very much the one-two punch of, I think it was Choke and Lullaby, um, 
where at the end of those, like Choke was, it 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 was it. Parts of it were really brilliant, but it felt like um it felt like a drive-by novel. Like interestingly enough, Polinick has, um, you know, I think his I think his like one of his favorite authors. I want to say is Amy Bender, unless I've got it wrong and it's it's actually someone else. But he he actually can write one hell of a good sentence sometimes, you know. <laughs> but you just threw in Amy Bender because you knew that I'd go ooh. Yeah, no, because it it is worth worth uh it is worth mentioning that he really there are times where he can write a sentence that is um that 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 you know high literary writers are like, oh man, I wish I'd I'd written that. But something like Choke is like a huge mess and it was one of the and followed up by Lullaby, let's just say that it was one of the least surprising surprises of my life to read an interview with him where he basically talks about how he bangs out the novel in a white heat, doesn't do a lot of revising and then publishes to keep it quote unquote fresh, you know? Um, Cause they read like the world's best um, entries in the uh, national novel writing month competition, maybe not the best actually, but you know, there's the, the parts that are vivid and great are completely counterbalanced by the pieces that are totally shitty, not thought out and lazy, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's my problem is, is that Polinick, um, has like a, a plethora of, um, I have a plethora of issues with, with Polinick's work, but I don't necessarily think that the, the white guy on we is, um, as germane, I mean, it's 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 impossible to escape in Fight Club, and you know, in in doing a sequel to Fight Club Two, um, honestly, it does give the work a, um, a kind of tediousness to it. Well, Fight Club is like the ultimate, you know, I am white and put upon just because I say I am story. <laughs> I don't Isn't think so. It? Right. Oh God! No, oh, yeah. Like Fight Club, Fight Club ultimately just annoys me. Fight Club really is one of uh, one of those. Like, oh, remember when men used to be men? I mean, I don't really remember, but I'm sure it was great. Well, yeah, but I think that hmm, one of the things that I always enjoyed about Polinick is in, in that way. Uh, Fight Club is. The is, is the weird kissing cousin to Frank Miller's 300, you know, uh, in that it is. You're not selling me on it here, Jack. Well, no, and I do, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't expect you to, Graham, because the thing is, is for me, and, and honestly. Talk to me about Frank Miller, why don't you? <laughs> well, okay, let's put it this way. In the hands of, of Zack Snyder, 300 is, uh, extraordinarily well calibrated. Uh, if you're being generous to Zack Snyder, which has become harder and harder over the years, as um, a brilliant self, like it, it's either a self-affirmation or a self-parody, and and that is very strongly the elements in Fight Club that are pretty interesting. Polinick is at least up to a certain point a dude who is too self-aware to fully embrace 
um, the idea of I am a horrible, like put upon loser. Like he's pretty well aware that they, that you, that it is a, a, that these guys are basically complaining in the midst of a patriarchy, you know? Sure. Uh, I, 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 I totally agree with you, but I also don't. <laughs> so, I mean, I like, can't, I can't explain it. Like, I, I think you're right. And I think mm-hmm. that he, everything about actually everything about his career mm-hmm. shows that he is uh very smart not only about how he's perceived but also how he's per- how he is portraying the work yes I don't think there's anything left to chance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh but even within that there's still something that i just uh recoil from sure i i think i understand but um but i i think this Things that you recoil from are very different. I could be I could be one hundred percent wrong, and and you know, uh, Alish Kant might try and like punch me in the nose the next time he sees me. But he and Chuck Palahniuk are really flip sides of the same coin. I think it's just that. Oh, that's, no, I, I I could totally see that. Although I would not be surprised if actually no, you wouldn't get punched by him. He'd hug you. Right. He would hug me. Chuck Polinick would throw punch would, me. Would, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's the except, difference except between Chuck the two. Chuck also anyway. wouldn't. No, he also would not. Absolutely. He, I would feel safe. Thre- he totally would threaten yeah. to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, but would that make some sort of arch statement? Yes. Right. So I, I think those two guys sort of as this, as, as the same sides of a coin, I can see the values that caught very, um, expressly embraces being a thing that mitigates the factors that I think might otherwise problematize a lot of his work for you. Let's assume that problematize is a word. And um, <laughs> if it's not, it's going to be no. And whereas, whereas I feel like Polinic is uh, either shoots for ambiguity or the more marketable, uh, pose of nihilism to uh, which is which is neither of which I would say you know is the opposite of being able to justify the the problematic aspects of his work well, for I, you. I, I that's it's interesting you said more marketable because mm-hmm. I feel that while Fight Club was very marketable uh, at the time it came out mm-hmm. I, and much more so as the film is the, than the book mm-hmm. as evidenced by the fact that we've all heard of the film. Most people hadn't heard of the book before the film came out. Um, but the, something that's very interesting to me about Fight Club 2 is that it it does just feel very out of sync mm-hmm. with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels, it feels contrarian in a way that is almost interesting to me. I think, based on the first issue, um, we will see where it goes. But the first issue very much posits the idea that um our um he is he's definitely putting on our feet the idea that the fucked up war torn world uh can directly be laid at the feet of his narrator and Tyler Durden and and that essentially the male feelings of self-pity and helplessness uh, you know, and the the crying out for a better time in the first in in Fight Club itself, 
Polinick is self-aware to point to the idea that, that the uh, inevitable result of that is fascism. And in Fight Club 2, at least of the first issue, it's very much the idea of the post-9-11 world of terrorism and fear-mongering is 100% to be laid at the feet of these guys. So, well, I, I'm, I'm, two things. One, there's something when you put it like that, the part of me is like, that almost sounds Engelhartish. Mm-hmm. And thing number two, spinning off from that, I'm very curious about the supernatural aspects that Polonik said he's going to introduce into Fight Club 2. Like, it, it seems so at odds with the original material mm-hmm. that it's almost enough to get me interested. Right. Yeah, and well, so when you when you then make it sound like a, an Engelhard esque book, I'm like, damn it, am I going to end up reading this? Well, it's it, it's. Hmm, I'm trying to think here. Let me let me look at it because, of course, I had the I had the. You know, for three ninety nine, I would at least check it out and pick it up because, again, the 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 secret ingredient here is Cameron Stewart, who is oh sure, I've seen a lot of art from it. Yeah, uh, and it's it's just beautiful yeah yeah his his the it is it is gorgeous and in that sense it really does um it at least makes the material worthwhile like redoing a flip through through it there are um there's super problematic aspects i mean polonix seems uh, one of the things that i found um, really problematic about Choke and Lullaby. Well, there's a, there's a lot of things, but the the fact is is that that Polinick, for a variety of reasons, whether he's willing has been in the past willing to acknowledge them or not, is trapped in it can is is in real trouble when it comes to writing female characters, uh, and so. Uh, Marla, who, who does return in, in Fight Club 2, is, 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 is ridiculously terrible. In that sense, I'm like, in that way, it's almost more like Inglehart than you would want it to be, you know? Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, uh, but, but I have to say, in terms of a 399 book where Cameron Stewart does an amazing job, especially at, there is one trick that they pull and it's pretty much the same trick repeatedly, but scenes where, um, the pills that, uh, the, the main character is taking actually lie on the comic on book page. page. Yeah, yeah. Obscuring captions or panels or dialogue is, is really wonderful. I hope they, I hope they change the, I hope there's another trick for the second issue because by the time you get to the end of the first, it's like, okay, you, like, you use that up entirely. So, yeah, but I hope it goes somewhere. Is, yeah. Yeah. You know, but, um, but, but as, as, as a comic book that actually feels like a comic book, um, which is not an easy thing necessarily to do for people who've, who've, uh, worked in other media, um, you know, it's, it, it, I was surprised. I found, I surprised myself by picking it up and I found myself, um, being surprised by how much I enjoyed it. And I will not be surprised if it ends up being a huge, massive, uh, disappointing poop. Because frankly, like I said, what I've read of Polonix's work is, is that he just, 
the thing that allows him to kind of cut loose, he has to give himself a certain, like, freedom from boundaries for ultimate expression. And unfortunately, a lot of times those boundaries really feel like um, very necessary editing and revising to, to, to make a work cohesive. Well, that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm interested in this, because obviously things are different in comics. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to go through multiple revisions. Well, yes and no. I mean, one of the things that I find fascinating is the idea that that comics have a certain um, – I mean, sure, maybe you get a pass or two, but it's very rare when – you know, it's incredibly unlikely. The, the number of comics where issue one was put out and issue five has been written, you know, of a five-issue miniseries are practically zero. Sure. I, I guess what I mean is uh, within – like, it's not just you write, it goes to an editor, and it's done. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you write, it goes to an editor, it goes to the artist, it comes back for a lettering pass. Do yes. you know what I mean? Like, there, there's, there are more stages, I guess. Maybe if, maybe if they're not stages that Polinick himself is going to be doing. Mm-hmm. But I think there, there's more oversight. Yeah, I don't know. I, I hope so. I hope so. The thing that really bothers me is having seen Polinick uh write about things online or even god help me i mean he is he is ex- exceptionally good at selling his own work uh i picked up choke because i read his introduction about how the piece came to be written and it was a, a, um, supposedly uh, the story he was telling at the time was the fact that his father was a sex addict and ended up being killed by the boyfriend of one of the women that he was sleeping with. And in the process of basically going through his father's stuff and his life, he became fascinated with the idea of sex addicts. And, and, and so choke among other things is about sexual addiction. It is probably the least convincing book about sexual addiction written by someone whose father was supposedly a sex addict who left diaries and who who should know better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Somebody who's, who's like, well, I did the research and there's, there's times where again, reading interviews, I'm like, Oh, Polinick did the research. He just didn't, he did not optimize things the way that, I don't know. And again, maybe it's just, it's not to my taste on a strangely similar note to fight club two is Oh, kill strike, which I, surprised again sort of surprised myself by picking up because there was a way in which i was like eh, it seems a little obvious uh i don't know if you're aware of it but it is uh... i tell me about it because i know the title and i don't know why and it's i know the title and i don't know why in a way that it is kind of annoying to me so i'm like jeff tell me what this comic is so oh killstrike uh is about a newborn uh newborn a new dad who, in order to raise the money for his family and take care of the financial anxieties that they're undergoing, digs up his copy of Killstrike Number 1, which is incredibly popular uh, on things like eBay. It is a book from the 90s, from the golden era of early image, although they're very careful not to name that by name, um, in which uh, Killstrike is the absolute worst of that. He really should be called Bloodstrike, if you know what I mean. He is a complete idiot 
who is armed with, you know, a ridiculous number of knives and bandoliers and ridiculously large guns. And his, the comic itself is so terrible. And so many people had at first like destroyed it and then went on to write about it on the internet that it is now a collectible. So this guy is basically, I'm going to go to my mom's house. I'm going to go up in the attic. I'm going to dig out my copy of kill strike number one, and I am going to sell it on eBay, make the money. And that's going to totally take care of all our problems will be solved. He proceeds to do so. And in the course of opening up kill strike, number one brings the character of kill strike into their quote unquote real world. Um, and the character's kind of like, okay, well, who do I kill? I got to kill something because that's what I do. I'm kill strike. And the dad is like, I got, no, there's nobody. There's nobody. And there's follows pages of, you know, sort of, you know, the classic kind of 90s in jokes about how terrible their books are and also like what they are expected to do. Um but it, you know, essentially Killstrike is like, look, I, you know, I can't leave until I complete this mission. What is the mission? There must be somebody that you hate. And the guy's like, there's nobody I hate. Well, actually, I'm not too crazy about my dad who left me and my mom back when I was very young. And he was like, okay, let's go get him. Who is he? And he's like, oh, he's actually a British comic book writer who was one of the most successful comic book writers of the 90s. And they're what? like, yes, exactly. So it's like, who, who wrote, what is this? Who made this comic? <laughs> it's, it's from Boom. It's written by Max Bemis and it's illustrated by Logan Farber. From what I can tell, I sort of get the feeling, unfortunately, that Max Bemis is one of those dudes that Boom occasionally like is like, hey, he's a lead singer in an up and coming band, oh, yeah, or yeah. maybe it's a bassist, just, right? He's been around for a while, yeah. Okay, is he the same guy that was doing those other Boom books for? He's, he's definitely Boom? done other Boom books. I don't know what books you're talking about, but he's definitely done other Boom books. Okay, this is my first encounter with him. I have to say the the writing is pretty witty, despite being obvious. It's got kind of a nice. Uh, dialogue flow and the art by Logan Farber is, is very indie-ish. You know, it's very, um, as you know, I, I adored Sex Castle, uh, and this is not nearly the caliber of that, although it is also very different. It's sort of the last action hero to, um, Sex Castle's predator. I guess I don't know. I'm trying to think what the proper term might be, but it it was it was surprisingly it's surprisingly goofy. It's not especially subtle. It it is it's one of those things that um, may not have been worth the three ninety five three ninety nine cover price. Now that I look at it, but I'm I'm kind of glad I read it. And again, is sort of those like oh, I'm kind of glad that's out there in the world. Um, it sounds wacky as shit. But I'm yes. glad you liked it. <laughs> yes. I I think you would actually probably loathe it. Um, although I think that loathing is probably too strong a word for what you would actually feel. Yeah, it I, it's be... honestly sounds like something I'd be like, okay, so that's something that exists. Yeah, exactly. That, that would be the extent of, of how much I care one way or yeah, the other. Right, exactly. You're <laughs> like, ah, I'm overwhelmed with my indifference. I read the second issue of Kaiju Max. Um, 
and really liked it. I don't know if you remember, but that is Xander Cannon's. Yeah, it's it's the Oni book, right? Yes, it's the Am Oni I getting book. Publisher? Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I I read first and really liked it, and I honestly didn't even realize the second was out. So I think it was just get it last week. Yeah, you should you should pick that up. Uh, it is a very clever for people who don't remember me talking about it a month or so ago. It is a it's a amazing mix of prison comic and kaiju giant monster comic where the idea is the the monster island where all the monsters are imprisoned is of course a giant prison so you've got all the great sort of prison movie cliches um and yet the thing that is really brilliant about it is xander cannon is absolutely smart enough and talented enough to take an idea like that which sounds like you're like i don't even know like it's like oh that would make, probably make a good one page joke strip um but he is pretty brilliant when it comes to his world building so the so the second issue of this i ended up enjoying uh, tremendously um really strong the black hood number 4 i read and actually reviewed on the website issue 3 3 and you did not like i didn't and issue 4 is back on track uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming that for whatever reasons, uh, Swarzynski was like, I really need to, like, like I spent too long in issues one and two, and I can't, I, do, I don't know, I've, like, I've gotta, like, cut through, I've gotta speed up a lot of this stuff, and he chose a style that did not work for issue three. Issue four is very much a, okay, and here's what's happening scene by scene, minute for minute, from the conclusion of his cliffhanger, and again, is for me, I think really strong. I, I, I say that with a bit of concern, like I'm having that like, Oh shit, but I don't really remember how it ends. Like I remember, Oh yeah, I remember it's his endings are a little problematic, but um, his openings, I mean, if you can basically imagine like a weird superhero noir version of this issue is like Amazing Spider-Man in that the Black Hood in issue three has com- at the end of it confronts two uh, dudes in a graveyard who are in the process of digging up the body of the original Hood, Black Hood, to confirm that it is actually that that character, that, that the original Black Hood is dead. The new Black Hood interrupts them, proceeds to beat them up or tries to in the beginning of issue four and essentially gets his ass kicked and runs off bleeding and is if it wasn't for the fact that he is doped out of his mind on painkillers really wouldn't have been able to sort of um was is the only reason why he's more or less able to escape when the police show up is that he is numbed out enough that he can keep running despite all the pain then he ends up having uh ends up being unmasked by the hoods and ends up having to because he's had to flee the scene, he ends up taking public transit home, which again, seems very Spider-Man-y <laughs> to me. He's taking public transit home, uh, but because he is, uh, you know, a dude whose face has been scarred over in the accident um, of the of being shot with a shotgun in the first issue, and is high, and is bleeding, is basically sitting there miserable while... Basically, people take photos of him and laugh at him. So it's it is a very dark, weird, 
funny and awful little book. Like really, really well done. I, 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 all my hesitations after three, I was like, well, I got to pick up issue four. I think it really moves back onto track. Um, it's coming up at the end of its first, um, arc, which makes me think that there is like, again, I'm suspecting that maybe Swarzynski was shooting for six issues. And at some point they were like, let's go to five and get the trade out as soon as possible and start essentially being able to build a publicity push for this, um, or something. But it, it feels like the, the end of the arc is coming a little soon, but the bits of middle where Swarzynski is not telling, but is actually showing a, a person who's struggling with being seriously fucked up and the idea that, that it's a superhero. Again, not exactly what I would call the Graham McMillan a uh, fun ride but, of choice. But here's the but. thing. I'm actually really enjoying Black Hood. And I was surprised that you didn't like issue three because oh. issue three seemed like a really strong issue to me. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, it just, it and I, I agree. I, I, mm-hmm. it seems like the, the antithesis of what I'd want in a comic, but I, it really works for me. Oh, good. I'm glad. So you didn't think issue three was too telly and too, too sped up and apparently not. No, it, it, de- it definitely felt like, uh, a break from the first two issues, but I feel that if anything, the first two issues were maybe a bit slow. So mm. I actually appreciated the change in pace. Well, I'll be fascinated to see what you think of four then. Uh, also on the Archie tip, uh, the chilling adventures of Sabrina issues two and three. One of the things that was really interesting to me was issue three came out, I think this week or maybe last week and I picked it up being like, oh shit, I did not read issue two. I know that I bought it, but I haven't read it. That's kind of embarrassing. And it was one of those deals where it's like, I was thinking back and I'm like, I only, I've only, I guess I only read the first four pages and then put it down and wandered off. Um, and the thing that's really embarrassing is I then came home, dug up the issue. Issue two was still floating around, which was great read it and realized in the course of reading it that I had read the whole thing, which kind of makes me worry about my brain because normally when I read a book and forget nearly all of it, it's because it was not especially good or I didn't, I didn't like it, but I'm like chilling adventures of Sabrina number two was perfectly okay. And then when I read issue three, I'm like, I, I really like this book. You know, I kind of, I'm very, I hope it doesn't slip off schedule again, because I think it's a... It, well, it slipped so drastically off schedule to begin yes, with. Yes. I almost feel that, you know, if they slip off schedule again, then something has gone hideously wrong. Well, yeah, that's it. But I mean... Because, I mean, know. it got one issue out, and one issue, and then it was like, we'll see you in six months, guys. Yeah, which was just, I mean, really, uh I'm fascinated by the way that Archie has sort of stumbled uh, in, in, in ways little and big, but I think that was actually a big stumble. So, uh, issues two and three. Oh, it really was because when issue yeah. one came out, they were like, hey, look at us. We're getting our shit together with this horror line. Aren't you excited? Yes. Yeah. And by the way, none of these books are, neither of these books is going to come out for the next few months, but you know. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm fascinated between that and the Kickstarter, which we didn't really talk about and I don't know if there's much to say news wise other than like well that was kind of a mistake um <laughs> yes exactly I bet they regret that yeah I think it's the way to say it yeah so I'm 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 
fascinated to see kind of like, oh, it's it's a shame that they have they've got a lot of good ideas, but there's clearly things going on in, in the background that are making execution problematic. So it's interesting. Chilling of adventures of Sabrina two and three. I, have you read anything past one or I forget. I've got, I, they're literally on my to read pile. I have okay. uh, still embarrassing. It's terrible. I read like fucking world's end and future's end and didn't read comics that I know are good. Yeah. That I have. Do you know what I mean? Like it's one of those, my priorities were out. Yeah, I'll just, well, I'll just say that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm definitely, I'm definitely with you in that regard. Let's put it that way. So, um, Chilling Adventures issues two and three, really good. I'll be fascinated if you do catch up with it. Maybe we can talk about it then. Uh, Saga issue twenty eight, which I quite enjoyed. Um, although I had that weird I, I, feeling of I think I missed an issue or something. Mm-hmm. I I because I went to the store for the first seven months. I read three issues a second in a row. Oh, um, and I gotta tell you, it's a great book, but one I think I may be ready to take a bite to. Bum bum bum. Okay, dish. What? Why? I have realized that there is not a destination, and I don't have enough. I don't think I really care enough about the journey anymore. Hmm. I think that there has been enough evidence that Vaughn will contrive reasons to keep the characters apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, because to bring them together is essentially to end the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's at the point now where it's seeming... Uh, it's seeming forced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not seeming organic anymore. Hmm. And so it's not as fun. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Here's the thing. Kate still loves it, so I'll continue mm-hmm. to buy the book. Right. And so obviously I'll continue to read it. But yes. I think if it was just me, I would, have, I would be jumping off now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you, But you basically thought the three issues were good. There's just the... the I think I think they're fine. I have... I have my suspension of disbelief is gone. Mm-hmm. I can see, I can see Vaughn too, too clearly. Um, and because of that, it, it's the, the spell's broken. I, it's not that, it's not that at any point I was like, well, this is demonstrably worse than the earlier issues. Right. You know? Well, I I'm think just the point where I'm like, yeah, okay. So that's great. I'm fascinated by the way in which I can see that. And, and Interestingly enough, and, and this may not pan out as a comparison, is it is simultaneously similar to and different from uh, Matt Fraction's work to me in that F- Fraction's work in short bursts feels very um, – it can feel very fresh and very peppy. And the aspects of it that are deliberately sort of um, mm, uh, manufactured, I suppose, are kind of charming or at least semi-ignorable in the early parts of the work. As the work goes on, there starts to be the feeling of 
it 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 sort it sort of wears. So like I'm fascinated by the way in which and it interestingly to me there were a lot of people who complained about this in the early parts of Saga. Vaughn's insistence on going for the cliffhanger um at the end of every issue and to an extent at the end of the arcs uh ends up putting like has sort of moved him into the forefront of like you said that that feeling of like you can see him too clearly like he there's a little bit of the feeling of the puppeteer is pulling the strings but also I, I actually very much in issue 28 i think mhm like mm-hmm. the, the the final page of issue 28 feels like it's the punchline mhm mhm like it feels amazingly forced uh, and a lot of that is the delivery the, oh, yeah. the change the change in uh type mm-hmm. for the for the highest fuck punchline You're right just it's too on the nose. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's like, ouch. Well, in in a way that uh, the thing that's kind of funny is I remember like that was one of the things I think is interesting is in a way it's like um, it felt a little bit too much like oh I see the next T-shirt I suppose you know for me it was oh, God you know what You're I mean probably right. Like I, I, yeah, you're probably that's kind of the thing that I felt was, like you said, the change in font is like, oh, it's super important that this piece be like a fully integrated piece of art because otherwise it looks weird on a coffee cup or a t-shirt or a, you know, a, a G string or whatever it is they're planning on putting it on, you know, and I, and I could be totally wrong but unfortunately I one really of the things we hope you're totally wrong yeah really hope you're totally wrong. but but there's a way in which it seems exactly that on the nose you know what i mean it very much like if you're going to have a character if you're going to have a, the phrase high as fuck oh sorry spoilers everyone if you're going to have a character that's, like here's the thing that's not really a spoiler yeah well and it's the not... and the imagery really? i feel yeah i yeah. suppose it's true it's 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 just very much a yeah, I don't know. It, you know, it's I don't, I don't know. It just it felt it felt very cheap in a way that I think Vaughn mm-hmm. can go cheap. Don't oh get yeah, me wrong. But it felt like super cheap for Vaughn, even. <laughs> you know, I think one it, of the it, things it that felt, I it, right. it really felt. I don't know. I just felt like it. Honestly, felt like I'm going for the punchline, guys. Right. You know, and, the... and and also in a way that utterly undercut what was actually happening. Oh yeah. I think so too. I mean, and that, I mean, that might be just a problem of the tone. Like, I think it was like, oh, here's the punchline. Here's the last page. He thought of it and then wrote toward it and, and just could not finesse that tone, I think as well. And, and because the tone isn't quite there in the narrator's voice that you can, you can sort of be that the character is going, like the character has the narrator has been up to this point um, clever but earnest, I suppose. And that just moves into a realm of snidely elegiac that I'm like, okay, that doesn't work. It, it was, and then the split with the tone. It was amazingly glib. Yeah, exactly. Glib. Which and, I think... And, and it, especially, especially when you have the... the the type change as well. Here's the thing. I think if you hadn't changed the type, I think Mm -hmm. if the type had stayed the way that it normally is, it would have softened all of that. Yeah. 
probably not in a way that would have worked, but wouldn't have been so obviously wrong. I, I yeah, I think it would have it would have come much closer to that idea of it, it would have given it more of a tender. It would have given it more of a poignancy rather than like, hey, here's our black light poster, you know, kind of feel to it for me, which yeah. I was just like. It's it's and it's interesting. Of course, once you say glib, I'm like, oh well, there's the fraction connection clearly. But um, but I, I'm I'm fascinated to the extent when the the way in which Vaughn sometimes manages to go big without ever really without there being sort of a resulting catharsis. You know, I'm I'm definitely yeah. someone who is who doesn't shirk away from the gaudy. Lord knows, but but somehow it never really pays off in a in a feeling of, of catharsis. Um, speaking of which, let if you don't mind, because we're we're going to be closing soon. As you may know, Graham, uh, I plunked down some coin for the Avengers versus Thanos trade, digital version of the Avengers versus Thanos trade, when it was on sale in uh, uh, on Comicsology right around the time that. I don't know the Avengers two movie opened up. I think, and it was something like four ninety nine for you know a lot of pages, four hundred and fifty three pages to yeah. be exact, right? And and I really had that thing of like, okay, we'll be great, even though I know that the majority of this is on say Marvel Unlimited, not all of it is. And oh my God, Graham, let me tell you, read this at the retreat. You know, like a bunch of issues at a time, various fun was had, but the ridiculous to the sublime quota really kicked into overdrive when I hit issues 105, 106, and 107 of Daredevil and the Black Widow, written by Steve Gerber, First two issues drawn by Don Heck and inked by Don Perlin, and then the last issue drawn by Bob Brown. Amazing shit. That's because a, that, that's a strong creative team. Yeah, the thing that's great about it is it is the uh, basically the they bring it in because there's the introduction of Moon Dragon in 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 the book. Um, it is also the culmination in a lot of ways of a bunch of the plot lines that had been going on in the book until then. So the, the issue 105 actually opens with Craven the Hunter getting ready to throw Daredevil off the cliffs into the pounding Pacific surf. Um, and it just kind of, and of course, he ends up being teleported away by Moon Dragon, who believes that Daredevil, the sightless adventurer with no superpowers, is of course has to be a one of the thralls of Thanos, who is in the process of making the world miserable, and Moon Dragon is trying to fight. Why Moon Dragon actually thinks that after we've seen several hundred pages of Thanos using guys like the Blood Brothers and the Controllers. In other words, anyone who, like Thanos, has a wrinkly chin, but also unbelievable amounts of super strength. Um, and yet she <laughs> decides that Daredevil has got to be that dude. Nonetheless, it is, it's great because what Gerber is doing is Matt Murdock has been working in a law firm for a thinly disguised analog 
of Melvin Belli. Instead of Melvin J. Belli, he is working for Kerwin J. Bradshaw? Wait, where is it? It's, yeah, Kerwin J. Broderick, who, of course, ends up being the supervillain who has been creating all of these villains, classic villains, like the Ramrod, the Dark Messiah, and everyone's favorite, Anger the Screamer. Do you remember Anger the Screamer, Graham? Uh, you cannot you could not forget Anger the Screamer if you've seen him, Jeff. Yes, that is he true. He is a character that, that exists to be remembered. <laughs> that it, to 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 be yes, to be simultaneously remembered and forgotten as fast as possible. For people who do not know, Angar the Screamer is basically the world's angriest uh, hippie who dresses it with like, uh, you know, just has long hair, sort of a Fu Manchu mustache, um, you know, an amazing like blue vest and no shirt underneath, these crazy medallions hanging off him. And uh, as drawn by Don Heck, has a swastika a very Manson-esque swastika appearing in the, the middle of his peace headband, and Bob Brown later changes to a dove. So Angar the Screamer, as far as I can tell, contextually, because I didn't see his first couple of appearances, is a dude who his ability to scream his dissatisfaction at the world melts the world around the people that he is assailing with his powers. Um... Uh, so it's unsurprising that this issue of uh, Daredevil finds him sort of licking his wounds in a cafe in Berkeley until he freaks out over absolutely nothing and starts screaming in the middle of every end of the cafe in Berkeley and melts everyone's mind. I have to say, as someone who lives in the San Francisco Bay Area, this still happens in Berkeley cafes <laughs> to this day, absolutely 100 uh, percent on the nose. Um the end of that issue has uh, Kerwin J. Broderick um, killing Moondragon and summoning the master menace that she has unwittingly brought back to Earth, uh, Thanos' sort of master weapon, a ginormous pile of fertilizer called Terex, the Earth. Um, itself basically is the embodiment of the earth. He basically looks like, uh, the Hulk, but with wristbands because it's the seventies and everyone's got wristbands and Terex's special ability is more or less the ability to age everyone, steal their life force, reducing them to skeletons and then taking that life force and being able to do fuck all with it. I think he grows bigger and more Godzilla as he does. So it sounds like he's doing a lot with it. He is, he is. So let me tell you, Graham, these three issues are fucking great. Not least of which is for Angar, the screamer after melting everyone's mind takes his groovy, chick janice who's the woman that he loves who keeps trying to basically talk him down off the angry screaming ledge they they hop in a car they ride from berkeley into san francisco because kerwin j broderick is the guy who gave anger his powers and anger is like this is great he's the boss no one's going to be able to stop us we're going to remake the the world in our own image and it is going to be beautiful and hip baby 
you know, let's listen to some Strawberry Alarm Clock or whatever. And the thing that is fabulous is as they drive by Terex with Angar the Screamer literally being like casting, you know, hailing Terex as a, um, you know, as his conquering lord, essentially, giving these very Nazi-esque salutes. Terex is like, well, one of those people in the car is my friend. The other one is probably a foe. And so Angar actually drives off with this hippie chick who has aged to death, is basically driving around with a desiccated corpse in his car, and is so crazy... And out of his head with the high, with the, the grand times in the age of Aquarius transforming anything, he does not see that his beloved Janice is dead. I think until the next issue when she literally crumples into dust in his arms and drives him totally insane. So in other words, this is again the most accurate representation of what the end of the sixties was like. And I think it is amazing that Steve Gerber is throwing all this shit in here. It's also pretty, despite the fact that the Golden Gate Bridge somehow manages to be in the background of every panel, an amazingly 100% accurate, um, you know, depiction of San Francisco, like kind of even today, because you have the lawyers, <laughs> you, you basically have an evil lawyer who's tricked everyone into being able to take on you know, the powers to conquer the world. It does also help that I have to say that I work at a law firm that was founded by a guy who basically was one of Melvin Belli's protégés. So it's actually fun imagining um, that my boss worked with Matt Murdock, I guess. But it's also kind of amazing. It's It's got everything, Graham. Daredevil gets his sight back. Then, in order to confuse Kevin J. Broderick, who, who merges with... Uh, Terex, um, but can only disintegrate, agent disintegrate people if he concentrates in order to get him distracted. It's Silver Age style, he dresses up as Matt Murdock and does all of his like super amazing athletic daredevil moves to like punch this big pile of compost while everyone's like, oh my god, Ankar the Screamer's mind merge. It's, it's surprisingly Silver, like it's good old Steve Gerber. It's also kind of a Silver Age DC comic. Um, even at the same time as you have all the conclusions to all these ridiculous storylines, I think Ramrod gets beaten up by Captain Marvel who shows up uh, and then changes back to Rick Jones who refuses to change back to Captain Marvel until he's gotten an ice cream cone. Like it's, it's got it all. Those three issues. Amazing. I'm so sad. I have just checked whether there are Marvel Unlimited and they're not, no. but I can tell you two things that I've discovered through Wikipedia, Jeff. Yes. One, Anger the Screamer is called Anger the Screamer because his alter ego is David Allen Anger. Oh, yeah. Which is great. Yes. Spectacular. And two, Anger the Screamer apparently showed up on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Of, wow. That's like, I will go watch that episode. Um, so I don't even want to give away the finale. Let's just say that Angar and Moondragon show the secret of unlife to Terex because Terex represents life and death, uh, essentially, but they have to show him unlife, which basically involves this enormous compost pile punching a huge cosmic egg and having the yoke of despair run over his body until he goes insane. That is our cosmic finale. It is... That is... 
So great. Satisfying. Why is this stuff not in Marvel Unlimited? Come on. I know. If you think about it, it's only another like two or four issues before Daredevil is fighting a baboon who's able to enslave all of women with his pheromone butt and has to fight him to the death on top of the White House. Like just four issues later. I mean, Gerber is a man who had his finger on the pulse. I mean, Gerber was on fire. He was. He was. This stuff is so goddamn loopy. It it really does make uh it it makes Bob Ainey read like Bob Kaniger. So I mean, it is that's such a great sort of nerdy way of putting that. <laughs> You're Thank like you. here. Here is my way of describing how straight laced this seems, but it will only be understandable if you're familiar with 1960s DC comics. Yeah, sorry guys, sorry. So, Graham, it's great. Everyone else, the next time this comes up on sale, and you, you know, I didn't even talk about all the Starlin stuff, which is really lovely. There's some, there's some stuff in there that does not work. There's stuff in there that is, but it's amazing to me, um, our buddy from the JLA, Mike Friedrich, or whatever is the guy yes. who's, he's doing the scripting assist with Starlin for the first four or five issues. I want to say of Captain Marvel before Starlin, like Starlin's plotting it. And then, um, and then Friedrich scripting it. It really is amazing. Starlin, a lot like Frank Miller, you know, doing those issues of daredevil. And then it's like, Oh, we'll let that guy write one. And it's just like, Oh, Holy shit. What we, he, that's a guy who clearly learned his lessons. Starlin's work is really, really strong when he steps out onto his own from his very first issue. It's just kind of like, oh, well, he's definitely ready. So great stuff. Great stuff. And again, this Daredevil stuff is amazing. I think you'd also dig it because it's basically also the birth of Marvel 2-in-1 because it's got the the... Marvel feature or whatever the hell it's called. The first, one of the first issues of the thing teaming up with another superhero where it's the thing and Iron Man teaming up to fight the blood brothers. Um, which again is Starlin clearly has a lot of, um, a, a lot of, uh, it's, it's interesting the shit that he clearly has passion for as a fanboy, like, there is so much Iron Man in the background of the Avengers versus Thanos trade. Iron Man is always getting involved for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Uh, so Starlin really liked drawing himself some Iron Man. That much is is really clear. <laughs> Jeff, for once, I'm going to have to be the one saying this. We should wrap things up because you're sounding crazy on my end. Oh, really? Oh, shit. Okay, well, yeah. fortunately, we're sounding okay on my end. But uh, everyone, sorry that we had such a bifracted podcast where Graham talked in the first half and then I completely ran us into the uh, ground on the second half. Um, but we'll two be... great tastes that taste great together. Yes, but we kept them largely separately today. So sorry about that. Just sort of feel free to remix us so that we're both talking over each other at the same time. Or maybe I'll do that. Who knows? And then you'll get the, <laughs> the feeling of a regular podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week. I don't think it's a Baxter building. Let's say that it's... It shouldn't It shouldn't be a Baxter building. That's right. The last it's only episode the we did, Jeff, was a Baxter building. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. But there was some change up. Anyway, so yes, come back next week. More weeks, <laughs> more what's, you know? 
Yes, exactly. We'll be here for you, and we might even both have read the same comics. Who can tell? Who can tell? I suppose I suppose we should both talk about how great Convergence Shazam number two was. Did you read that yet? Yes, but we really have no time. <laughs> right. It don't. was very good, people. Yes. Convergence Shazam number two uh, is probably the, the best. It was definitely the best Convergence series. Um, but probably the, the book that made Convergence worth it, as long as you didn't read Convergence. Which is how I would describe that. That fits me. That's me you're talking about. Okay, <laughs> everybody, we'll see you next week. Um, we, we Hang on. You should say very quickly, we are on Twitter uh, at WaitWhatPodcast. We're on Tumblr at WaitWhatPod.tumblr.com. We are on the internet where we do written posts at WaitWhatPodcasts.com. We are at Patreon where we are listener-supported, and we thank you very much for that, people, uh, at Patreon.com forward slash WaitWhatPodcast. Jeff, have I forgotten anything? No, I think I think I think that has done it. Sometimes you talk about who our individual Twitters are. You're just going to have to hunt it up. Uh, thank you to the 106 patrons at Patreon that make this all possible. We could not do it without you. You are so awesome. Um, and I think I owe some of you people stickers, which I will make it a point to handle next week. We will uh, we will talk to you then. Graham, do you want to sing us out? <laughs> Bye. So good.